You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I suppose I should really say something about the Republican National Convention in there. I have said something about the Republican National Convention. Crazy, uh, truth-free, lie-heavy environment. Batshit. Um, but I really don't want to talk about that at the top of the show. There's something else batshit that I just have to talk about. Um, all y'all probably don't know who Father Benedict Gruschel is. He's a 79-year-old uh, Catholic Franciscan friar. Uh, he's also the co-founder of Courage, which is the ex-gay Catholic organization. And in 2011, according to Box Turtle Bulletin, he won the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. So he's obviously a wonderful, smart, intuitive, sensitive, caring guy. In a recent interview, uh, and now I'm quoting – a piece at Huffington Post. In a recent interview with the National Catholic Register, Father Benedict Groeschel of the conservative Franciscan Friars of the Renewal said that teens act as seducers in some sexual abuse cases involving priests. Here's what the father said. People have this picture in their minds of a person planning to, you know, of a psychopath. But that's not the case. Suppose you have a man having a nervous breakdown and a youngster comes after him. A lot of the cases, the youngster, 14, 16, 18, is the seducer. Pressed for clarification, the New York State-based religious leader explained that kids, kids who were raped by priests, were looking for father figures and they might be drawn to priests because priests can, and I quote, fill a hole. This has to go down in history as perhaps the poorest choice of words in, in the entire Catholic priestly sex abuse scandal. Perhaps the poorest choice of words. As if we didn't already know that priests had it in them to fill 14-year-old boys' holes. Tell us something we don't know, Father Benedict. And it actually got worse from there, that interview. He defends Jerry Sandusky. Says – and this is the thing that just blows my mind. Benedict expressed a belief that most of these relationships are heterosexual in nature. You know, he's the leader of the ex-gay group. So we have to round up priests fucking boys to somehow heterosexual in nature and that historically sexual relationships between men and boys had not been thought of as crimes. If you go back 10 or 15 centuries, is that what he's about to say? No Years, 10 or 15 years, says the father. It was very rarely thought of or brought up as a civil crime. Nobody thought of it that way. 10 or 15 years ago, ancient fucking altar boy fucking history. And the father goes on. And I'm inclined to think on a priest's first offense, they should not go to jail because their intention was not committing a crime. He says, I'm quoting, their intention was not committing a crime. They were just filling a hole. And these motherfuckers, these motherfuckers sit in judgment over us. These are the motherfuckers 
This is not some like run-of-the-mill dingbat drunk-ass priest in some obscure parish somewhere. This is the head of a Franciscan order. This is a co-founder of the ex-gay Catholic ministry. This man has written books. This man is a respected elder in the church. And it ain't gay when priests fuck boys and it ain't rape when priests fuck boys and it ain't a crime or shouldn't be a crime and a priest should get one gimme, one pass. That's what he's saying. If it's a priest's first offense, they should not go to jail. So you get one, one boy, one altar boy. You get to rape, you get free and clear, you get to rape that kid. And when you rape that kid, it was because that kid seduced you because that kid had a hole that needed filling. And nobody can fill a kid's hole like a Catholic priest. And these are the motherfuckers who insist that I should not be allowed to marry Terry. That I, my sexual – being openly, honestly gay, two adult men who are in love with each other. We are intrinsically morally disordered according to the church. And this motherfucker, if I'm intrinsically morally disordered, if I'm intrinsically evil, they have described adoptions by same-sex couples as doing violence to children. Perhaps we should defer. They're obviously the experts when it comes to doing violence to children. My relationship is intrinsically morally disordered. What the fuck is this guy if I am intrinsically morally disordered? What the fuck is this guy? Oh, I know what the fuck this guy is. He is a professor of pastoral psychology at St. Joseph's Seminary in the Archdiocese of New York. This guy is talking to young seminarians every day about mental and sexual health issues. This guy is helping to prepare the next generation of Catholic priests. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If kids got raped at Denny's, at the clip that they got raped in Catholic churches, if the vice president for consumer affairs of Denny's went around saying shit like this, every Denny's franchise in America would be on fire. There would be riots. But they wear skirts and they claim to have a little red phone on their desks that when they pick up the handset, God answers, so they get a pass. And it ain't rape. They're the victims. They're being seduced by those 14-year-olds that have holes that need filling. And I'm the intrinsically morally disordered one. I need, you know what? I, I usually right now say your calls after this, but I need to go lie down for about an hour. I got to go calm down before we take your calls. So your calls after I go have a candy bar and a cup of tea and a nap. Then your calls. ExtremeRestraints.com is the ultimate fetish store and so much more. No matter how vanilla or how kinky you are, Extreme Restraints carries toys for you. They've got huge selections of premium vibrators, bondage gear, fucking machines, cock jewelry, and more at great prices. Save an extra 10% with the coupon code GGGSEPTEMBER. Double that discount, 20% off if you use it by Sunday. Hey, Dan. This is Mark. I'm a 27-year-old straight male. I'm in the northeastern United States, and uh, I needed you to give me a judgment on how much of an asshole I just was to a girl. So I met a girl a few weeks ago. We've been hanging out. We ran into each other at shows a bunch, like music shows, and we were hanging out, and I think she's this really, really awesome chick. And I told her as much. I was like, you're really cool. Let's, like, let's hang out. And so she thought it was really cool, too, and we were hanging out, and you know, we just gradually got to know each other a little bit, and then... And she was definitely 
telling me the vibe, and I knew that she was into me, but I wasn't really that into her. But I just kind of figured, you know, maybe she'll just kind of get the hint that I'm not into her because I'm not doing anything to suggest otherwise. There's a couple times where it's like, okay, we're hanging out. I could be kissing you right now, and I'm not. Like, you know, hopefully that you understand what that means. So we hung out this past weekend, went out to dinner, and uh, we went back to her apartment, and we were hanging out, and we were talking, and we were having a really awesome conversation, really connecting, and sitting down in this room in her house, and she was like, can I come for next to you? And I was like, yeah, sure. So she sat next to me, and we started cuddling a little bit, and I didn't kiss her. I didn't, you know, I didn't make a move to take things to that level. And so then the night ended, and I was like, okay, I got to go. I'm going to leave. And the other night, I was like, I think you're a really beautiful person. Because I do. I think she was a really beautiful person. And I gave her a kiss on the forehead, and I left. And so we just hung out. She's, we were, today, this is, you know, that was Saturday. Today is Wednesday. We, she asked me if I wanted to go hang out in the park with her. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. So we hung out in the park. And then she kind of said to me, she was like, listen, I feel like I need to say this, like, let's just address what's going on here. And then I was like, you know, you're right. I should have said something by now. I'm just, you know, I just kind of want to be your friend. And she was like, so crushed. She was so, so sad. And she was just kind of like, I haven't had a boyfriend in nine years. You know, guys either want to fuck me or be my buddy. Nobody wants to be my boyfriend. And I just kind of feel like, I don't know, is it my fault? Like, I'm like, I know I should have said something earlier, you know, made it absolutely clear, but how much of it was just her just, like, clinging on to hope and not really facing the reality of the situation? I mean, like, it's just got, she's, like, really bringing a lot of hurt to the situation. And it's, I don't know. I, I understand that. I, I could have handled it a little differently, but am I a huge asshole? Am I just a little asshole? Like, tell me, Dan, how badly did I fuck up? It's not your fault that this girl hasn't had a boyfriend for nine years. That could just be the universe fucking with her. She could be doing something wrong uh, or she could just be having a mega streak of bad luck. And sometimes, uh, you know, as I've often said on this show and in my column, uh, there isn't someone for everyone. Some of us do wind up alone and that just fucking sucks and sometimes that stings and – you don't know if you're one of those people who's going to wind up alone until you die alone. And then you're like, oh, right. So you kind of have to live in hope um, and build a life for yourself that's rewarding and fun and has friends and pleasure in it, whether you're alone or not. Even if you're with someone, you need to build a life like that because buses run people over every day. You could be with somebody now and alone tomorrow. Um, so it's not your fault that she's alone. It is your fault, though, uh, that she got hurt. You did hurt her. You were an asshole, a go-along to get-along asshole, and you allowed her to make completely reasonable assumptions about your feelings, about the potential here for a relationship. You cuddled. People don't cuddle their friends. I have friends. I have friends who are gay. I don't cuddle my gay friends. I certainly don't cuddle my straight friends. I don't cuddle people that I'm not interested in or not already with i don't know where you're from where people just kind of promiscuously cuddle indiscriminately cuddle i mean that sort of shit ha that, that ends after high school and cuddle puddle bullshit and drama club gay bullshit that ends that like rando cuddling with friends and 
If you're not taking MDMA and going to raves in 1992, you're not cuddling people you're not interested in. So, yeah, she got hurt because you cuddled the bitch. All right? And that was a shitty fucking thing to do to somebody because you got her hopes up. And then you found out after getting her hopes up that this was, you know, the pain of your rejection was compounded by her – this nine-year losing streak that she sees herself as being on that you couldn't have known about, that you didn't know about. You can't be faulted for not knowing about that, but you can be faulted for cuddling someone you weren't interested in and blundering into a situation where you not only hurt her by rejecting her, but you hurt her by rubbing her nose and, again, nine constant years of rejection. So how big an asshole were you? were an asshole. You're not asking me was I or was I not an asshole. You're asking me how big. So you know you were an asshole. You know you done wrong. How big? I'd say pretty big. Pretty fucking big. So learn your lesson. Don't treat people like this. Uh, maintain good and decent boundaries. Don't allow people to make reasonable assumptions about your intentions or feelings uh, that are not true. That any idiot uh, could have deduced that other person was making based on his behavior. So don't be any idiot in the future. Don't be such a big asshole in the future. Hey, Dan. This is Max, uh, straight male. Um, I have a problem with hypocrisy. I I really love blowjobs. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. I just love them. But I also don't like to eat pussy. And it's not um, a moral conceptual thing. I use my hands all the time. But I just don't enjoy the experience, the taste, the claustrophobia. Is there a way to get over this? Oral comes standard. Any model that arrives without oral should be immediately returned to the lot. That said... You like getting blowjobs. You don't like to eat pussy. I don't think that women should blow you if you're not reciprocating. But there are people out there. There are women out there who enjoy giving blowjobs who don't particularly like to have their pussies eaten. There are guys out there who enjoy eating pussy who don't particularly enjoy blowjobs themselves. There are people who like to be active orally and not passive orally. Uh, You can find one of those women – by doing what you're doing, which is accepting blowjobs and not eating pussy. The women who are offended by that are going to pressure you to eat their pussies and you will either learn to eat pussy to keep that particular woman in your life or you will end that relationship or she will end that relationship and eventually you will win the oral lottery and find the girlfriend who adores sucking dick but doesn't want you to eat her pussy for whatever reason. And hopefully the reason is a good one. Like it just doesn't do anything for me. Not a bad one like my vagina is dirty and awful and I'm too self-conscious. That's a bad reason. There are good reasons to not like having oral sex performed on you. Like I just don't care for it. Like it doesn't really do anything for me. Like I don't get it. It's not that arousing. Whatever. Hopefully you'll meet a woman whose reasons for not wanting to go down on her are good and not about self-loathing or self-consciousness and you two will be very happy together. Until you meet her though, you will be returned to the lot over and over and over again and you will deserve it. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight female with a question about coming out. Uh, My brother is gay in his late 20s and uh, he came out to our extremely liberal and loving family when he was in college. Uh, my mother was worried at the time that some of our extended family members who are less liberal than we are would be awkward about it. So she advised him not to tell him, not to tell them. 
Uh, over the years, I know he's told some cousins, but not all. And I don't really know. I haven't been able to keep track of who knows and who doesn't know. Um, no, when he was younger, this wasn't really an issue. I could just avoid the subject entirely at family gatherings. But now being gay is such a huge part of his life that it's hard to avoid. Um, Almost all his friends are other gay men. He spends his days working in a career that centers around LGBT issues. And most of his social time is at like gay clubs and gay events. So now when a family member asks me how my brother is doing and what he's up to, I don't have much to say that doesn't involve his being gay in some way. Um, I basically feel like I have this huge unnecessary secret to deal with and it's getting really fucking annoying. Um, I'm so paranoid about outing him, especially because he's very um, masculine. And I myself was really shocked when he came out to me. So I don't think it's something that everyone's just kind of guessed. Um, I've talked to him about why he hasn't come out to everyone. And he just says that he doesn't care who knows, but that it feels weird to have a conversation with the family about his sexual preferences. I feel like I don't have the right to tell him what to do. But now the half closet is kind of affecting me and the conversations that I have with my family members and short of him giving me a spreadsheet covering who knows what I'm scared. I'm going to blab the secret. Um, I hate having secrets in the family and I really don't know what to do here, especially because I don't think anyone is going to have an issue, honestly. Um, so please help. Should I, I guess, how out him or just not talk about him at all um what should i do thanks when he said i don't care who knows that was your permission to stop playing this fucking game uh, i don't want to talk about my sexual preferences i don't care who knows that means you're free to talk about my sexual preferences to these family members that i barely know and rarely ever see and don't give a shit about the opinion of um so when they say how's your brother doing you can say dick when they ask what your brother's up to you can say dick um, you know, and any gay people out there who have a problem with this, again, you know, you get a pass for the first few years, maybe a year or two after you come out immediately to control the pace at which other family members find out. But at a certain point, you aren't out if some know and some don't and you're expecting your sisters and parents to keep track and not tell Uncle Marvin that you're – You've got a boyfriend, but Aunt Sue can know. You haven't really come out. You've just dragged your family into the closet with you. You don't have a right to do that. You don't have a right to impose that kind of mental gymnastic bullshit on your family. Coming out means coming out and the word will spread. I would just tell your brother if I were you that I can't keep track anymore. And when people ask what you're up to and if the gay thing is relevant, I'm just going to tell him. And remind him that he said he doesn't care who knows and you're going to take him at that. In fact, don't warn him in advance. Just start telling people. And if he freaks out, say, you told me that you didn't care who knew – so I came out of the closet too. Hope that's not a problem, bro. So what's your brother up to? Dick. What's he doing? Dick. Find the tools to indulge your fantasies at extremerestraints.com. Whether you want your wife to plow your ass with a three-inch wide strap-on dildo while your cock is locked in a steel chastity cage, or you want to spend an indulgent evening of self-pleasure with an eight-speed wand massager and an array of attachments, ExtremeRestraints.com has the toys for you. Save an extra 10% on giant dildos, wand massagers, steel cock toys, fucking machines, pocket altar boys, and everything else at ExtremeRestraints.com when you use the coupon code GGGSEPTEMBER. Double that discount if you use GGG September by Sunday. And yes, 
The Pocket Altar Boy is a real sex toy, although that's not its name. Technically, it's called the Squeal, S-Q-W-E-E-L, I believe. Uh, but I call it the Pocket Altar Boy, and you should Google Pocket Altar Boy uh, if you want to see why I call it the Pocket Altar Boy. And if you want to buy it, you can go to ExtremeRestraints.com and order yourself one. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old bi-female in a committed relationship, and I have just kind of a a general, I guess, relationship maintenance question for you that I don't feel that's been addressed on your podcast yet. Here's a little bit of background. My fiancé works the front desk for a pretty big corporation, and he's currently acquired somewhat of a, a work stalker, I guess we'll call it. And it's gotten to the point where she stays around the desk, flirts with him all the time, blah, 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 blah. But it's also gotten to the point where a coworker of hers has come down to the desk and kind of warns him away from her because she's been talking about him a lot, you know, ooing and eyeing. And this woman is married with a child, but he didn't know that because she always slips off her ring whenever she goes to the front desk to talk to him. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to the actual issue and question that I have. Um, he tells me the other day, that she had offered to buy him a meal, to buy him a lunch, and that he had refused her. What he told me initially was he told her, no, thank you, that he didn't want her to buy it, and that his fiance didn't really like women buying food for him. Now, I let that stew for a little while, but it really didn't sit well with me the way that he said that, and I kind of felt like he threw me under the bus. So my question is, is, I guess it's an age-old question of who's right, who's wrong, but it's also just a basic question of how do you how do you turn someone down in a way that doesn't put the ownership off of you? I like I don't know if I'm descri- describing it accurately enough for you or not, but I really feel like he shouldn't have said that because her reply to that was, well, she sounds like a uh, kind of a jealous, stuck-up bitch. Uh, Personally, I probably would have put the ownership on myself and said, no, thanks. I really don't want you to do that. Um, I don't think I would have told the person that, you know, oh, well, my fiance really wouldn't like that or this or that. I don't see how he threw you under the bus. He used you as an out. Um, which is one of the roles we play in the lives of our significant others, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends. You know, he's got to work with this woman. He has a work relationship with this woman. She clearly has piss poor judgment and, and terrible boundaries. Your fiance obviously has a higher emotional IQ and better sense. Instead of punching her or screaming at her or saying, you repulse me and I think you're horrible and I would rather eat dog shit off a sidewalk than have lunch with you, get the fuck away from me. He just sort of passively sidestepped the whole issue by saying, by mentioning, by working your existence into the conversation and saying, oh, that's nice. Thank you for the invite. But my fiance, I'm taken being the message, wouldn't appreciate that. The secondary message he's sending, of course, is I take my commitment seriously. I don't do things that my fiancé wouldn't appreciate. I don't go to lunch or flirt with or fuck 
other women the way this woman would clearly like to fuck someone other than her spouse. You don't know this woman at all. You don't have to deal with this woman every day. You don't ever have to see her or lay eyes on her. Yes, he cast you as the villain in the piece. Oh, I would go out to lunch with you, but my fiance wouldn't appreciate it. Uh, but so fucking what? Be the villain. He needed you to be the villain at that moment to defuse this situation, to de-escalate, to, to get this woman to leave him the fuck alone without having to confront this obviously batshit woman with something that might crank her up. Like, get the fuck away from me, you bitch. I, I don't want to go out to lunch with you. Ugh, you're gross and you're married. Go the fuck away. Like, if he had just been honest with her like that, it could have blown up. And she, you know, who is she? At? He's the receptionist. Who is she at work? I, you know, I bet she has more power and authority and been at the company a longer time. And if she wanted to fucking fuck him by running to HR or accusing him of something, she could. And so he found an out that may have saved his job, that saved some face. And yes, you had to be the Wicked Witch of the West in this little white lie. And so fucking what? We all, all of us in LTRs are sometimes cast in that role, in Little White Lies, to help our partners save face, de-escalate, diffuse situations. Uh, you should be only too delighted to be the heavy every once in a while if it helps your partner out of a spot. It amazes me that people ask me still, to this day, I've been hammering away at this GGG thing for so long. And I still get calls from people who listen to the show or read the column asking me what GGG means. These people have access to telephones and the internet. Uh, if you Google GGG, uh, the first thing that comes up is my definition and Glenn Beck's definition. His definition, Glenn Beck's, is God, gun, and gold. Um, whatevs. My definition, of course, good, giving, and game, what we should all be for our partners and what we all have a right to expect from our partners, which is good and bad. you got to work on those skill sets. Giving of pleasure. Sometimes you give pleasure without an expectation of an immediate return. And game. Game for anything within reason. People shouldn't do things that leave them curled up in the fetal position in the shower, sobbing after. Uh, but you should be kind of willing to meet your partner's needs um, and expect that your needs will be met too. And there should be some give and take. So good giving and game. GGG. That's my prescription for people in sexual relationships, particularly sexually exclusive relationships. Um, and... It seems now that, uh, you know, the science is catching up with me. I've always suggested that being GGG is going to make your relationship better and stronger and there are going to be benefits and perks. And a study just published in the Journal of Social, Psychological and Personality Science uh, backs me up. The science is catching up to me again. Social psychologist, sex and relationship researcher and postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto and lead author – of this new study just published. Uh, Amy Muse joins us by phone uh, from her offices in Toronto. Now, the title of this study, Amy, is Keeping the Spark Alive, Being Motivated to Meet a Partner's Sexual Needs, Sustains Sexual Desire in Long-Term Romantic Relationships. But basically what it boils down to is I was right all along, right? That's right, Dan. That's right. <laughs> This is you how you right. get on. This is how you get an immediate invite onto the podcast. You do a little research, demonstrate that I was absolutely one hundred percent right all <laughs> along, and you get a call from me immediately, don't you? Exactly, my plan all along. <laughs> you didn't cook the books for me, though, right? No, I did not. I did not. So, what did you study, and what did you find? So, I think that this really picks up on the giving and game aspects of when you talk about GGG. 
So what we did was, so we have something in the psychological literature that re- that's referred to as communal strength, so just being motivated to meet a partner's needs. And we find that this has all kinds of positive consequences for relationships, as you might imagine. So myself and my colleagues at the University of Toronto wanted to see if we could extend this to the sexual domain of relationships. So it's being high in something that we've termed sexual communal strength, or as you might say, GGG, is this good for the self? And so we found that actually people who were higher in sexual communal strength um, experienced more sexual desire themselves. Um, so it had all of these positive consequences. And this piece isn't in the paper, but we also found that it was good for their partners. So when you have a partner that's more GGG, you picked up on that. So you were more likely to say that your partner was responsive to your needs during sex, and that made you feel more satisfied and more committed in the relationship. So what's the takeaway? So the takeaway is that um, it's good to be GGG. (laughs) No, I just want you to say, I want to hear somebody, you know, with... You know, who's going to have a PhD after her name really soon and who's uh, a doctoral fellow and published in science. I just want to hear the words come out of your mouth. I want you when what it boils down to is you were right, Dan. That's all I want to hear. Just that. You were right, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, why why do you think this is that meeting a partner's needs uh, improves your own sex life or makes you feel sexier or more uh, desirable or motivated? When, you know, one of the slams on the whole GGG thing is I am ordering people and when and they usually mean I'm telling women to, you know, do for their husbands uh, and right. to, to, you know, to be self-negating and self-sacrificing and just to, to meet his needs. And, you know, that, that, that sex is bullshit that's always been thrown at women. And, and I don't think that's what I'm saying because I'm saying it to both partners, male and female, although men tend to be kinkier and often have more esoteric requests. Um, that is, you know, an unavoidable truth. But I've always felt that being GGG was good for both partners and should be expected to go both ways. But what your research found was doing that for your partner, being GGG, irrespective of, you know, whether they're GGG for you necessarily in return, is good for you. That's right. And, I mean, I think there's an important distinction to be made. So you're picking up on something here about people criticizing this as being giving to your partner at the detriment of oneself. And that's not really what this is. So we have something else in psychology called unmitigated communion. And that's kind of the same idea of of communal strength, but at the detriment of the self. So being motivated to meet someone's needs, but giving up your own. What we're talking about here, and what I think you're referring to when you're talking about GGG, is being motivated to meet a partner's needs, but also expecting that in return, and also having, you know, your needs stated and, and met as well. And yeah, we're finding that people who are more motivated to meet their partner's needs were experiencing higher desire themselves. And one of the reasons for this that we looked at was that some of their reasons for engaging in sex lead to this higher desire. So one example is we know that engaging in sex for more approach motives, so pursuing positive outcomes in a relationship or for a partner, promotes desire. And so people who are more GGG are more likely to be approach motivated toward you know, enhancing their partner's experience and their relationship in general. I know social uh, psychologists and social scientists and researchers don't like to be prescriptive, but if you would be prescriptive for a moment... What's your advice to people based on what you found? My advice to people, I think, is to think about and get in touch with what your own sexual needs are, be able to communicate that with your partner, 
and then encouraging them to do the same with you. So I think that's probably the biggest barriers for people to be comfortable with their own sexual needs and open and honest about these needs in a relationship. And the caveats and carve-outs always are, you know, not everybody gets everything they want in a relationship sexually, emotionally, or otherwise. Uh, there are fetishes too far, things that you can't reasonably expect somebody to do. But because of the sex negativity in the culture, often people's first impulse when they're, you know, something's thrown out there, tossed out on the table, or request is made that's never been made before, they've never even thought about it before, is just to reflexively just say no. Um, not because right. they couldn't do it or wouldn't do it or wouldn't enjoy it, but because it, it's strange and new and the culture says you should always reject you know, anything dirty that didn't come from inside you. And oftentimes when you, you know, your partner asks for something, if you just say oh instead of no and think about it for a second and talk about it some more, you may find that you enjoy it or you may find that you enjoy how much they enjoy it. Right, exactly. And there might be ways to enjoy it that you're both comfortable with. So I think it's all, too, about compromise. Okay, so if folks want to read your study, where do they go? Um, they can go online. So they can actually go to a website called Science of Relationships, where I have a column there called Sex Musings. And there's a short write-up about this paper, and it'll also link to the actual full paper. They Great. can also see my blog on psychology today as well and get the information there. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Amy Muse, soon to be PhD, correct? Already PhD. Oh, already? I thought you were a doctoral. F- oh, you see, sorry, I said you were going to get a PhD. You are yeah. a PhD. I'm just about a year in, so I got my PhD almost exactly a year ago. Congratulations. And in your face, well, everybody you. else is still working on their dissertations. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 26-year-old straight chick. Um, I've been seeing this guy for a while, maybe about four months or so, uh, and the sex is awesome. And from the very beginning of us hanging out and hooking up, he made it relatively clear that he is into asses, (laughs) Um, that he was interested in anal sex, and, um, you know, that was always just sort of something that I knew he was into. Um, and I haven't really had much experience with that. So we kind of took it slow, but, um, we tried it and we've done it a couple times now and he really, really, really likes it. Um, he's made that very, very clear. Um, and that's awesome. I love that he likes it. I love that it turns him on. I am still in the process of learning to enjoy it, but, um, you know, I'm getting there. But I still strongly prefer the traditional kind of sex, or maybe I shouldn't say traditional, vaginal sex. Um, And I'm a little bit concerned that now that anal sex is on the table, he'll be less interested in vaginal sex. And that, you know, I've sort of shot myself in the foot by being willing to do that. It makes me nervous that he'll sort of be bored (laughs) by my vagina now. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that, um, any advice on how to give him what he wants and, you know, be GGG. And, and, you know, I'm also certainly learning to enjoy it also, um, but also not make that the main event every single time, which I would not be into. He's made it very, very clear to you that he enjoys anal intercourse. Good for him. Now it's your turn to make it very, very clear to him that you enjoy vaginal intercourse, that anal may be an occasional treat, but it is not going to be 
the main event from here on out. Everything you said to me, say to him. Play the podcast for him. Let him listen to the words come out of your mouth. Um, disinhibit. Be like him in this instance. He has expressed very clearly uh, that anal is something he really digs and he wants it to be a regular part of his sex life. You need to express very clearly that anal is something that you're willing to continue to experiment with, but it is not going to supplant vaginal intercourse. Um, that is going to be uh, the main event for you. And if you guys are sexually incompatible, if he's one of those straight guys who only wants to have anal intercourse or even wants to have anal intercourse half the time or a quarter of the time or 10% of the time, then you guys aren't sexually compatible and you need to shake hands and say goodbye. So be clear. Tell him. Tell him. Play the podcast for him. You said it really, really well when you were talking to this faggot. Now play the podcast for him so that butt-fucking straight boy can hear it too. Hi, Dan. I was walking to the bar the other night, and this guy asked if um, I wanted $20 to walk like walk by for some foot video. And I said, my face wouldn't be in it, right? He said, yes. So walking by turned into taking off my boots, turned into taking off my like finished cartoon character socks, turned into pointing, flexing, and then him smelling from three different angles. Um, weird, yes. And so what I'm wondering is, did I just, you know, engage in a sex act for money? Should I be thinking about this? And where do we think this video is going? Could it be going into your film festival, perhaps? Is that, like, what, what is going to be the repercussions, if any, of this ridiculous evening that I had? 20 bucks. Wow, you got scammed. 20 bucks to walk on by that turned into take your boots off, that turned into take your shoes off, that turned into let me smell your feet. You, uh, you know, you had sex with this guy. What, what would he think of his sex? He's a foot fetishist. Like getting down on the ground and smelling your feet and filming it uh, was probably for him a, a sex act, even if it wasn't for you. And boy, he got that cheap. 20 fucking bucks. Oh my God. You should have asked for at least a hundred. Uh, will that end up online? That little film? Perhaps it will. Um, will it end up in hump my uh, little porn festival here in Seattle and Portland and Olympia this year? No, it will not because no films appear in hump that uh, everyone involved hasn't signed a hump release for forms you have to download at humpseattle.com to take part in hump. So if you didn't sign a release uh, for your feedies, your feedies can't be in my film festival. But yeah, you had sex. Wow. You had sex in public on the street. Uh, or he did. Perhaps you didn't, but he definitely did. And he had it. He got it cheap. Okay, we got a tweet. Or I got a tweet. I got twatted at. I got tweeted at. Somebody tweeted me. Angry gay man at mad gay man on Twitter sent me this tweet this week. Uh, Love the podcast, but cringe when you say clitoral. Dan, it rhymes with literal, not with uh, immoral. I, you know, maybe, maybe, I, I guess I've been mispronouncing clitoral all these years. It's one of those words that that you read and don't have cause to say out loud very often until suddenly you're a sex advice columnist with a podcast and you have to say it out loud all the time. Um, and, and I wasn't sure you were correct. So I went online uh, to howjsay.com, which is the free talking dictionary of English pronunciation, and entered clitoral. And here's how it is actually pronounced according to the free online talking dictionary of English pronunciation. Clitoral. 
Literal. I guess I have been saying it wrong. It rhymes with literal, not amoral. Uh, although, you know, the way they pronounce it here on the free online talking dictionary of English pronunciation. Clitoral. Are you supposed to say it all creepy like that? That sounds like a serial killer about to cut one of them off. So I'm not I, – I will – from now on, I will make an attempt to say clitoral instead of clitoral um, just as I am making a, a, a good faith attempt to say vegan instead of vegan, although I've always said vegan. Uh, I'm now trying to say vegan. But if it's okay with everybody, I'm not going to pronounce it – I will pronounce it correctly, but I'm not going to say it like that. Clitoral. <laughs> Did you have a clitoral orgasm? Like what fucking serial killer did they get to record these pronunciations at howjsay.com? It fucking freaks me. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. But somebody sneaking up on me and whispering clitoral in my ear. But I, I will. Thank you. Thank you. Angry Gay Man at Mad Gay Man on Twitter. Follow him, people, uh, on Twitter. Thank you for the heads up that I have been mispronouncing clitoral all my life. And I shall now make an effort to use the correct pronunciation, which is, of course, clitoral. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm a straight guy calling from uh, Toronto. Episode 304, uh, the woman who called in who was freaking out because her 15-year-old brother was screwing older guys. Um, and her big question was, how do I, should I support him because I don't support what he was doing? Uh, I thought you gave you know a really interesting answer about why young guys turn to young gay guys turn to older gay guys and you know the power dynamics and isolation and all the rest of it. But I don't think I heard what I was kind of screaming at the uh, at the podcast to say, which is support your fucking brother. Like no matter what, you know support him and don't be judgmental. Uh, I mean, don't give him a lift to older guys' houses. There's nothing on it that says you have to help him do it. And you can let him know in whatever way, you know, subtly, I guess, in a non-judgmental way that you don't think it's a healthy thing for him to do. But support him. Uh, uh, hug him. I mean, he's 15 years old. It's a huge thing. Everybody thought he was this straight kind of all-American kid. And all of a sudden, he's this, like, underage gay hooker or whatever, you know, gay serial older dater. And... uh God, like, I mean, wrap your arms around him and say, you know, it's going to be okay, and I support you no matter what. And uh, I just think for you, I'm hoping she'll hear this if it gets played because, you know what, um, A, he needs it, and B, this might, set you, this might decide whether or not you have a relationship with him for the next 70 years. Hi, Dan. Um, just calling to address a call you received in episode 304. There was a woman who was talking about the sexual satisfaction that she would get from, from popping zits and how, you know, now this is resulting in um, her, her harming herself. Um, and you mentioned uh, briefly that this sounds like it might be a little OCD. Um, and I don't know this girl. I'm not a psychologist. But as a lifelong uh, OCD, uh, you know, diagnosed through and through, long, long time have her OCD and also Tourette syndrome, which is kind of on the same spectrum, her behavior screams compulsion to me. It's obsession and compulsion is the act. Um, and actually used to manifest a little similarly in myself where I would um, intentionally scratch my head so that scabs would form and I could pick them and I got a huge satisfaction. I did it underneath my hair so it was invisible. Um, and I definitely can see how 
acting on a compulsion, since it gives such a feeling of satisfaction, sometimes as a wave of pleasure through the body, how she could be attaching this to a sexuality. But um, this, she is not on a, on a healthy track with this one. Um, wounding yourself is not a kind of thing that takes care of itself. Um, you know, I also know somebody who has, a, has trichotillomania, which is the compulsive tearing out of one's own hair, also a result of obsessive compulsive disorder. And it's hard to get these things in check sometimes. And every time you enact, act on this behavior, you're re- reaffirming the behavior. The satisfaction grows stronger. The obsessions become more frequent and the compulsions become more um, expected. You know, you just say, okay, why not? I'll just go ahead. So um, for anyone else out there that might be in, in a similar situation, um, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, has a lot of tricks to help kind of uproot or rewire your mind's well-established pathways with the, uh, with the objective of being able to find just as much satisfaction in your body, but without causing yourself or physical harm. Thank you. Hello, I'm calling in reference to the girl in episode 305 who was wondering why her and her girlfriend's periods hadn't synced up even though they're living together. Turns out they're not going to. That's a myth. It was thought to be true for a long time. It was what I was taught when I was in college. It was, however, based on a single study that has never been replicated. So, love the show. Bye. And we're going to leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for your calls, your questions, your comments. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at fake dan savage if you have a comment that you want to make sure is permanently and forever and eternally affixed to the program to the particular podcast that you want to comment on go to thestranger.com slash lovecast where every episode of the savage lovecast has its own comments thread the podcast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth be back at you next week another installment of the savage lovecast thanks for downloading Sphincter Nipple Cock